Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show today. This week, I'm talking with my friend John Kleinbell of Sync It Music and Licensing Basecamp, which teaches artists and producers to get their songs and production up to standard for sync pitching. John has tons of sync placements, including Fox, Disney, ABC, CBS, Starbucks, and many, many more. We are discussing the best ways to approach making music and pitching music in the sync world, plus what genres of music are being asked for currently in the sync world. Please enjoy my conversation with John Kleinbell. All right, I am hanging out with my newest friend, John Kleinbell. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, I'm so glad we could make this happen. I am excited. You just moved to Nashville. I did. Yeah, so you've been here, f- as, a, as of this recording, you've been here for how, how long now, you think? Two months? Two months. Kind of crazy. It's awesome. really gone by quickly. Yeah, well, welcome to Nashville. And you've, you've been in L.A., out in California for what, about 15 or so years? Yeah, right? yeah. I moved out there uh, back in 2005. Feels like forever ago. And then. <laughs> <laughs> and originally from Illinois, correct? Yeah, yeah. Originally from a little farm outside of Peoria, Illinois. We okay. had a, we were on a rural route. Like the mailman knew yeah, yeah. where on the route to take our mail. We yep. were out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I grew up on a, ru- for people who don't know it, a rural route. <laughs> it means, <laughs> basically, that means you live out in the country and. Right off of outside of the city limits, yeah, kind of a thing. Um, well, that's cool. Well, thank you for being on the show and uh, for talking with me and my audience. And you know, we we love having guests on to talk about what they do in music and to talk about how you got to where you are and and doing what you do in music. So um, you and I met technically originally back. Was it 2018? I think 2017, 2018, or something like that. There was people have heard me talk about Catch the Moon Music. Uh, it was a sync licensing agency out in LA that um, that did this course that would teach teach artists how to write music for sync, basically. And uh, there was a, basically our class that went through that course together. And I don't know if you were actually in the class or not in that particular class with with me, but I, I remember. Kathy Heller was talking about you and telling the story of this guy named John Kleinbell, who who was struggling, had struggled for a long time at getting a sync placement to land somewhere. And it's you've been working at it for a long time, and it just kind of felt like you kept hitting some walls, I guess. And then all of a sudden, you landed this Starbucks placement, like an international Starbucks placement, and that just kind of like opened the floodgates for you, right? Is that how that worked initially? Uh, the, story, the story's a little different than that, but not a lot different. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, back in 2015, I decided I was going to be a producer. I stepped away from my office job. I had some savings, and I just decided I went. Actually, went to India for 17 days. Well. Went on a spiritual trek, came back, decided that I wanted to become a music producer. And as I was starting to learn how to do that, like really learn how to do that, I'd always dabbled in it. But as I was starting to learn how to do that for real, it just dawned upon me, I got to find a way to make money doing this too. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like, well, I was looking for opportunities to make money. I was checking out what people were doing on Craigslist in terms of like posting up ads. It's like, that doesn't seem like that pays very much or anything like that. And then uh, all of a sudden I got this email in my box from this uh, booking agent of a venue that I used to play as a singer songwriter, but 
occasionally he would post about different workshops and different opportunities for the community. And back at the time, he was like, you got to, you got to like, check this out. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. This lady named Kathy Heller is, has had like massive success as an independent artist, having her music used by Walmart, McDonald's and listed off all these companies. Yeah. And she's doing a one-time workshop in room five, uh, the summer of 2015. Yeah. And I just said, you know what? I was like, that sounds cool. I'm going to, I'm going to check it out. Let's see what it's all about. And so I did that. And, uh, I really kind of caught the fever right like instantly uh, in terms of like, this is something that I am excited about doing. Cause one of the things that she was doing back at the time was like making music that was like up tempo, happy stuff. And it was always like a part of myself that I really wanted to put out there into the world. But I'd always kind of, always kind of been like the depressed kind of singer songwriter, the, the guy who's like, you know, not the tortured soul. Yeah. I think it was like, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely had my Elliot Smith and Jeff Buckley listening years and all that stuff. And, and, and for me, it was uh, about like, for the first time, I felt like there was a, just the happy side of myself could be expressed and do it in like an authentic way. And to see her do that and have success with it. I was like, yes, I want this. So fast forward, like another like six months or so of me just kind of like dabbling in it. And uh, she started to offer a workshop series. And for about six months, uh, we assembled at a little theater that was in Hollywood and she'd give lectures. She'd bring in a couple music supervisors for anybody out here who doesn't know who music supervisor is. They're the person who is tasked with basically the creative and the legal aspects of putting music to the picture, whatever picture they're hired to bring music into. Uh, it's their job to do it within the budget that's basically given to them to, to work with. And sometimes they can fight a little bit for that. But, but they, the thing was really cool that Kathy was doing, she was bringing in these music supervisors and we would have direct access to them to be able to ask them questions and we would learn so much about it. So, uh, and, and then along the way, I started writing more and more and more and more about uh, just these different fun topics and themes that tend to work in licensing. And some of the songs were awful. Some of the songs were really bad. And I think I was just reaching a point creatively where I just felt a little bit like I wasn't sure I was going to make it. <laughs> and I think so many people out there can probably relate to this. Like you just feel like you're not enough. You feel like maybe I picked the wrong profession, even though this is something that is just so dear to my heart. It's something that I've always wanted. I moved out to LA in 2005. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to be in the music industry and I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere when I was living in Tucson, Arizona doing that. So, uh, so it was like one of those things where it felt like that was all kind of on the line in a way. And I'll never forget this. It was the end of one of those workshops. I was making all these demos. I felt like they were terrible and, and, but just like doing and doing and doing writing with like so many different people that I was working with at the time who were also trying to learn the same thing about how to make your music good for licensing purposes. Yeah. And uh, I was like the last in line after one of her lectures and I, I, I waited to, to talk to her because I want I just wanted to say to her, I was like, you know what, Kathy, I'm just like, I'm not sure if I'm going to I'm not sure if I can do this. And, and I think at the time, I, I think back to it now and I'm just kind of like it was it felt a little like I hate to say this about like myself, but it, it felt a little pathetic. I mean, it felt like I was like kind of like looking for validation. But at the time, it was like more than anything. What I needed was like somebody to I think more than anything after acquiring this knowledge to say like and I'll never forget. She's like, you're doing it already. You're you're going to have success in this. I can see it. And for me to like see that and take that in and uh, and really just kind of have an attitude shift around all of this in conjunction with everything that I was learning and everything that I was really excited about succeeding in for me to have that type of motivation and, and belief uh, just kind of mirrored back to me. It was just exactly what I needed to hear at the time. And it really helped me in order to feel the, the feelings that I needed to in order to keep at it. And I just kept at it, kept writing, kept working with producers, learning from people. And not long after that, I had a, a, a very good set of four or five songs that I started pitching around to different rep agencies. And not too long after that, I had a couple of offers for rep deals. And the way it all happened, it was so fast. The first, actually, the very first placement I ever got was the Starbucks ad. And it's, it's kind of crazy. It was like a two thirds, it ran for like two thirds of a year. It was nuts. Like it was everywhere. It was a worldwide ad. 
I was driving to, to uh, driving out to visit my sister in Arizona and pulled over at some truck stop and went to go get a soda in the truck stop and I'm filling up a soda and I hear my song like and I'm like what wait, what's going on and I look there's you know they have those TVs yeah. that are just kind of randomly playing something yep. and I'm like that's me yeah. uh, and then at that point Marty it really hit me and it was it was kind of an emotional moment for me I was almost like crying in this truck stop this <laughs> it's uh, awesome uh, you know because it was like you realize wow this is like this isn't this is no joke like pe- literally millions of people are hearing me sing yeah. And and that was like kind of in a way the whole point of me moving to L.A. was to to move the needle that way to to take these messages and the messages that I was singing in that song were like meaningful to me yeah. even if they were like an upbeat kind of happy thing and, yeah. and even if it felt a little saccharine it's like that side of me was being expressed and people were taking it in and it was just like a very cool thing it's just the start of it for me too yeah so that's. That's fun. I love that you're in a truck stop and you're hearing that on on a see it on a TV, hear it, and like you said, millions of people are hearing you sing all of a sudden. But then all of a sudden, you're also at the same time surrounded by all these strangers who have no clue that that is you they're listening to (laughs) right at that very moment. You know, it's like that's a really it's interesting dichotomy. Is a dichotomy? Is that the right word? I don't know. It's an interesting situation to be in it's like anonymous fame in a way yeah sometimes <laughs> some with some placements it's anonymous fame sometimes the placements lead to like a lot of streams yeah. or you know just like you get a high profile placement on a tv show all of a sudden your artist numbers really start to climb yeah yeah well we'll talk more about that in the future uh, let's back up a sure. little bit and tell us again where you're from in illinois yep. what got you into music to begin with oh, man. and what kind of led you to the path of going from Illinois to LA to get you going into music to start off. It's a long story. Uh, do we have like a couple hours here? <laughs> we'll yeah, see. We can. No, but it's, uh, it, it, it's not that long of a story, but I, I grew up in a musical family. Okay. Um, my dad and his uncles were known as the Kleinbell brothers in Stark County, Illinois, the little tiny County that I grew up in uh, about 35 miles Northwest of Peoria. We were outside of a town of 1600 people called Wyoming, Illinois. And on that farmhouse that we grew up in, it was filled with music. My dad had a little project studio in there. He was a folk troubadour. It's how he actually met my mom, was on the road. He was traveling around this in the 70s in a VW bus playing taverns <laughs> for the door. And she, she met him while he was touring around wow. in a little town in uh, southwest Colorado. So, cool. um, But we ended up, uh, they ended up deciding to start a family. And, and we ended up living on this farm that my grandfather owned. And we were we're kind of stewards of the farm and uh, we didn't actually go out and plant the crops and anything like that, but we were like taking care of it and making, we'd feed the cattle and all that stuff. So it was this really interesting mixture of farm life and, and just being around beautiful nature all the time and creativity. My parents were super creative. My dad was a, again, he was a troubadour songwriter played a lot of, I mean, all of his favorite acts. Uh, he, he knew like three or 400 covers of different folk artists, uh, all the classics. And so he would be playing guitar and recording. He had a little four track recorder. I remember that. And he would record his own demos and send them to Nashville. And I, I remember the rejection letters. I mean, later on in life as an adult, I ended up getting, finding a stack of rejection letters that he would get from these major Nashville publishers. Wow. And, um, that was kind of like a, like an emotional thing for me to see. Cause it was like, he really, he really did want to succeed. Really tried it, yeah. In music, but I feel like it was it was tough for him because he was working a full time job as a teacher. He was an amazing school teacher. Everybody loved him. And um, but yeah, he was he was like stuck in between two worlds. It felt like uh, it mm-hmm. was happening for him creatively. But my household uh, that I grew up in, it was full of creativity, fun. We would have they'd have like these house concerts where my parents would invite some friends over who knew how to play a banjo yeah. or knew how to play an upright bass and and just like there'd be music going on until one or two in the morning and that was just kind of how it worked um and growing up around that i i got a real appreciation for harmonies i mean that that's one of the things that i soaked up like a sponge when i was a kid and i just kind of knew i mean i was listening to records that and listening to like my favorite one of my favorite records of all time is uh uh, Paul Simon's Graceland and that record I just listened to it over and over and over again and I started getting interested in like the production of it and the sound songwriting of it and I think that maybe that was that album I could probably accredit 
some of my interest in, in learning how to produce. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how did this whole thing come together? I would, I would imagine about like, well, where did this, cause you'd read on the liner notes. Oh, the, these people in Africa and like, where did this musician come from and this musician and how did they get them all into the same room and get it all working? And it was, it was fascinating to me to think about it, even though that wasn't, wasn't really thinking about like, I'm going to become the producer, but even at an early age, I was geeking out on music and, and really reading the liner notes and taking a little more interest than maybe some people would. Um, and then, uh, you know, as it ended up happening, I, when I went to college, I really didn't do anything with music until I went to college and, uh, you know, formally, but, you know, knew I could sing. I'd, I'd always been in like grade school choirs and things like that. But it wasn't until later on in life that, uh, when I went to college that I was like, you know what, I should, maybe I could, maybe I could learn to play guitar. I, I know I can sing. And I'd, I'd always like kind of loved to sing along with some of my favorite records. Uh, but I never really thought that I could write my own music necessarily, but I thought, well, why not? Why don't I just go to some open mics or something? And for me, it just all started with, I wanted to learn a couple cover songs. And then once I realized I could teach myself how to play some chords, then, then it kind of, uh, it, it all kind of accelerated from there. I ended up finding a, a guitar player who was like way better than I was. And we, we made a band. That's, that's what happens a lot of times. Yep. Right. So, yep. so that's kind of like the story of how I get from there to LA is, is just like a few years, you know, I ended up, uh, that band, we had a lot of fun. It was like five of us. We were all super talented. We were all totally on different pages in terms of like what we were, uh, trying to accomplish as a band. And so it was like kind of probably your, your typical college band, uh, experience. Had a, had a lot of great times, a lot of great shows started to work through some of my stage fright issues. Cause I had a lot of stage fright when I was first starting out I was just mm. super shy when I was a kid. And, um, so ended up doing a lot of work on that, uh, it through the band and, and where this goes from here, it, I ended up moving to LA uh, when did I move in 2005? And uh, by that time, I had maybe spent a couple of years dabbling in learn because I was learning how to like play the chords while I was singing. And it took time to for me to like get that all lined up because I was always used to being like the, the guy who just sang the right the lead vocal. Right. Yeah. Um, so for me to get a little bit more confidence around like my rhythm playing and do all that, it took me a couple of years. And then I, I just realized that with all the open mics and different play gigs that you could play in Tucson. It just kind of felt like it was, uh, it wasn't going to be a place that anything really was going to happen for me. So I just, I don't know why I think back and I cannot remember the moment where I just realized that I wanted to go to LA or even why I wanted to move to LA. I think I just kind of knew in my bones that that's just one of the places people go when they sure. are talented in music in any kind of way. And they want to, get better at it. Sure. So, uh, for me, I think I just made the decision. I was going to, I was going to do it and I was not going to be denied. And, and it's, it's kind of crazy. Like I tried moving here one time had in a two week period, everything I owned stolen out of a storage unit had, uh, gotten almost like a super violent situation. To move to Nashville, moved to LA. Oh, to LA. Okay. Yeah. The first time I tried moving oh, I to LA, yeah. it was crazy. I had okay. everything I owned stolen out of a storage unit had, uh, almost got in a crazy car accident on the 10 freeway. We're doing like 540 in traffic. Uh, and it was a miracle that we didn't flip or wow. uh, or like end up crashing into any other cars. There was an office chair right in the middle of the freeway. It was oh going like 70 miles an hour. It was nuts. Uh, I don't know how we didn't uh, flip there, but uh, I'm grateful for it. And then my <laughs> girlfriend at the time, we got uh, she got jumped in the San Pedro Public Library by gang. Oh um, and this all happened in a two-week period. And it was enough for me to like at the moment say like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, but then like a, a year or so later, I was just like, you know what, this is what I, I really want to do. And, uh, and a friend of mine was moving out there. I was like, do you know any neighborhoods that are safe in LA that we could move to? <laughs> and so I just took the plunge and, and did it. And, um, you know, it was one of the best decisions I ever made, I think. And, and I think for me, like looking back, it was one of those moments where I was like, if there's things that you really want in life, how badly do you really want them? Are you willing to go to any lengths to get it? Yeah. And I feel like there have been a couple of times in my life where I could have just completely given up on whatever it was I thought could happen for me. And I'm really glad that I didn't do that. Yeah. So once you've finally got to LA, yep. what did you, like, what were you pursuing at that moment? How are you making, how are you starting to make connections once you got to LA to do music? Oh man, it was interesting. Back then my mentality around everything was so different. Uh, I think back then 
I didn't really know what I was doing. I, if I'm totally honest, I had no idea what I was doing. I was a singer songwriter. I was going out and playing the, the open mics that are the cool open mics and, uh, trying to figure out like, well, who's booking this show and who's booking that show and who are the cool producers that I might be able to work with. And I think I thought about it a little too, too much like is there somebody I need to know to get ahead or is there some I was trying I was trying in so many different directions uh, the me the whole time I I was working a full-time job which you have to like yeah. if you don't I didn't have any other way I didn't have a bunch of money saved up or anything like that so I had to pay Los Angeles rent which is very pricey even back when I first moved there so uh it was a, for me it was a bit of a it was a culture shock as well because to go from a town where like the biggest traffic jam you ever see is like 20 or 30 minutes to like, I mean, literally I was living in a place where, where my job was like two and a half miles away and it would take me an hour, hour and a half to get to work. Sometimes I could have walked there faster, you know, and I, I should have, I would go back in time and tell myself, get a pair of shoes on and get, get like some athletic shoes or something like that. Get a walk in or something. Uh, would have been like a lot less stressful, but, uh, so a lot of it was a culture shock for me. A lot of it was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to do and do and do. And I'm, I'm, I got ripped off a couple times. One producer just straight up ripped me off. I mean, it was like overcharged me for services that like he really kind of, he didn't do a very good job of and and but I, but I was like I think that's part of the price you pay when you are first getting into something and I've always had like an open heart and and tried to to have an open mind with working with people so um I think I got I got fleeced a couple of times early on in my my LA years and, and it was frustrating honestly it's difficult when you d- I didn't really know anybody out there and I was trying to get people to come out to my show uh and then and then it all dawned upon me well I should probably just move to where the show is I should just move to the third street promenade and start performing out there, start doing street performing. So that's what I did. And that, that was like probably the first move for me that really moved the needle in terms of my career, because that move to the promenade did so much for my professional career. It it actually like completely ironed out all the rest of the stage fright issues that I had. Cause the cool thing about third street promenade, I don't know if you've been out there, but no, explain, explain what that is and what you're doing out there. Yeah. Yeah. So third street promenade is a, it's a area of Santa Monica, California. It's right by the beach. Nowadays it it more and more just kind of feels like an outdoor mall, but it was a little more funky when I first moved there. And uh, it was just a place where people there was, yes, there was shopping and there were like a constant stream of people just walking up and down it going to different the, stores is that the place that's always in the movies like someone's yeah. always skate, yep. skating up and down yep. and yep. out there throwing frisbees <laughs> it's and all world kind of famous okay. world famous yeah that or venice beach okay. venice beach is another place where you see that okay. or may, maybe more frisbees by uh, down on venice beach okay. but i got gotcha. you can also busk in venice beach i never really did that um uh, I, I just lived like right off the promenade and I would take my stuff out and you had to get a permit and you had to, to show busk. up early and all that stuff. Yep. You to, to busk. And yeah. it was a really great experience because I mean, I was so stubborn back then too. I was so willful in my ways because I was not going to play covers. Yeah. I was, I was only going to play my original material and I was the only person who was doing that. Like everybody else. I mean, there was, I, I'm, I don't begrudge them at all. Back then I was like kind of annoyed with them because like I would be out here playing my own profession, my own, what I felt at the time were like good original songs. They yeah. really weren't, they weren't, they weren't good songs. I wasn't a good songwriter back then, but, uh, I had a, I had probably a higher opinion of my own work than I, than, than I did. And I probably need to be humbled a bit. And I think that's part of this whole process was a little bit of a humbling for me. Um, and it's also just like a, how much do you want to fight against the stream for me? Because I was fighting against the stream every step of the way in a way, because I'd be going out there and watching them play the same five or six covers and do a really great job of be entertaining and have like huge crowds surrounding them and things like that. And it's like, well, I've, I've got to be original. I've got to, I've got to do things differently. I got to do things my way. My way is not like copying what everybody else does. So I think I had like back then I also had kind of this like sense of superiority to other people that is just like not at all what I'm about nowadays. It was just kind of like I felt like those were the things that were tough for me to navigate in the middle of like still feeling like, you know, L.A. is this big, crazy city and and working a day job and, and, you know, trying to find a healthy relationship out there. It's just it's it's a lot to a lot to do. But uh, but regardless, I would go out there and street perform and there was a two or three year period where I would go out there two or three times a week, sometimes more than that. And it was like just such a great way for me to work through Cause I ended up realizing that like, 
I could just play my music and people can have their own opinion of what it is. And it doesn't have to affect me personally. I think there was like this personal, I, I almost took it as a personal affront when people wouldn't like stop and, you know, mm -hmm. check out my stuff for a little while. But I realized people, there's different shades to that. And everybody's like got their own thing. Like some people, they just, you know, they, they show they appreciate your music by just kind of bobbing their head and like giving you a little bit of a smile as they're walking by. That doesn't mean they don't like your music. Maybe they've got to go check out like a, a movie or something like that. Yeah. Or, uh, but then it's also, it's like, well, what was I hitting them with? I was hitting them with my original stuff that wasn't that well written and uh, they hear somebody down the street that's playing like the biggest hit of the day and they're, you know, want to go check that out. So I, I think it's like, it's interesting. My perspective on that looking back, it's like, I see some of the mistakes I made, but I would, I wouldn't change a thing about like how it all unfolded. Yeah. Well, I, I would agree with that. I would say that, cause I would be like you, I'm doing, I'm out doing my original music. I'm not doing covers. I didn't yeah. like, no, I re, I record covers now for sync stuff. You know, but, but that's different. As far as going out and playing concerts, um, when I was 16 and first starting to write my own music, I was doing my music and covers of, you know, of certain artists that I liked that fit in my genre of what I was doing because they were people that I looked up to and I loved their songs and yeah, it, it yeah. fit in that same thing. But it, the older I got, as I got into like college age and things like that, I didn't prefer to do covers. I want to you know, I'm, I'm trying to be an artist. I'm trying to be a songwriter. And so what do you do? You go out and you write your songs and you perform your songs. So you don't, you know, you don't see, um, you don't see the artists that when a new artist comes out, you know, that you like, and you're like, Oh, I like that song. I'm going to check them out. You don't hear them doing a bunch of covers of other people's stuff because they're, you know, they're trying to create their own music for you to connect with and, exactly. to, and to sell their albums of their music that you, you know, you're, they're trying to create a fan base you know, out of us. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a fan base of our music, you know? So I agree with you and I understand the, you know, you having to learn different things and kind of hit a wall and get frustrated that so-and-so down here is doing a really great cover <laughs> while you're doing an original. But I would prefer if I'm walking by, because there, there are people here in Nashville that, that busk all the time down, especially down in Franklin where I live. Um, and if I'm out walking downtown Franklin with my family and there's a guy that's busking, you know, I want to hear him playing his own music over a cover song. I'm yeah, like, I hear the cover, yeah. I hear the, that song all the time on the radio. Yeah. You know, and you just go to Broadway for that. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, but I want to, if you're going to sit here and play on the street and I'm going to listen to you, let me hear what you do. You know, to me, that's, I prefer that as well. So I don't think you're wrong in doing those things by any means, but I understand the frustration of, you know, having to learn all those, all that stuff as you go. So let me ask you this. Once you had done that for a while, like what, how long did it take you to go from busking to realizing that you wanted to get into the sync music world? Yeah. So the, the segue for that was I ended up taking a job at a mall company, actually. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird seg, but I ended up taking a job at a mall company and it was a really good paying job. And I had, since I'd moved to LA, worked a series of jobs that all paid pretty well. I always had a tech background, so uh, I was an IT guy. It was the first job I had out of college. So uh, fortunately, I've always had a skill set that could work in the corporate environment. And um, it was one of those things where I, I accepted a job that was that paid great. I had no issues. I, I moved to a place. I moved further away from the promenade. And uh, I just got into a zone with things where I really stepped away from music almost altogether. And it was a really, in a way, a very unfulfilling period of my life. Because I felt like it was almost like there was a part of me that was not being used at all. And, and not that I was like ignoring that it existed, but I guess I kind of was, you know, and I remember too the job that I was doing, it was a job that I felt like I did this for a couple of years. And, and, and at the end of those couple of years, I just kind of felt like the work was not what, what I was put on this earth to do. I wasn't put on this earth to help teenage girls find fashion accessories 
And especially if those fashion accessories are being advertised by somebody who looks like they're super anorexic. And it's just like there's some stuff that like started to morally not vibe with me in terms of that environment. That in connection with what am I doing here? Like I, I moved out to LA to pursue a music career and I'm not doing anything at all related to music. And I haven't done anything for music for like a couple of years now. So it all started with me dabbling. I started dabbling again in, in music projects and I made a, a really, really good friend, uh, an Italian guy named Alessio Miraria. And, uh, we ended up writing a bunch of songs together. It was just so fun to get together with somebody and write music again. So for me, that was like one of the things was just like starting to, starting to work on any music project again. And then once that happened, I just realized, you know what? I have been, I have been putting this off for too long. And I realized that the, it, it took another leap of faith for me. The, and the main leap of faith was that, that I was going to be okay. Uh, if I just completely quit my day job, if I just completely, if I said, I am not going back to a corporate office for the rest of my life and just made that decision uh, and so I just made that decision one day and, uh, I put in my 30 days notice. Like I said earlier, I went to India for 17 days and came back, uh, with some insights, some spiritual insights. And it just became clear to me that the way in which I was going to proceed in the music industry was to learn how to produce and how to do it well. And, and obviously level up everything else that I'm doing alongside that. But, but like really having production be like the focal point for me and that, once I started that, you know, that's how I ended up getting into the idea of doing licensing. And and then that just became my whole world for, for quite some time. And, and in a way it still is my whole world. And it's, I teach about it all the time. Yeah. So what are the steps once you, once you decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Yep. How, how do you go about pursuing that for you specifically in LA? Boy, you know, for me, I, I did have to, you know, there's, there's practical realities of things. I did have some savings lined up and, uh, and, and ready to, you know, because there, there wasn't going to be a situation where like, I wasn't in a, in a place where I, I knew I wouldn't be able to get enough clients to make my rent. You know, it was ridiculous. To, I didn't even know how a compressor worked back then. Yeah. So for me, I had to have a little bit of a buffer in order to, to make the, tra- the transition. So, so that was one of the things that was really, it gave me a little bit of a safety net. Uh, it wasn't like an unlimited safety net or anything like that. I just, uh, it was what I had in savings and, um, and I made some investments. You know, I, th- I feel for me, like the keys for me to make that transition from learning to earning, it really was, it was about actually learning the, the practical skills necessary. I went to a producing academy, Create Academy, and uh, it was run in Westlake Studios Complex in West Hollywood, one of the most famous recording studios in the history of the world. Um and that's where I learned the went to a boot camp of sorts, really in depth boot camp. First week on songwriting completely blew my mind. I realized that there were things about songwriting that I didn't know for 18 years, and uh, just like from a basic level. After that week, I kind of understood why the songs that I was writing, why they weren't working. Mm. So for me, once I got to a certain level of understanding with some of the things that that I had always struggled with, especially on the songwriting side, then it actually got really fun because it's like, okay, I have these great ideas. I know these ideas are good now. Now let's see how we can get that to what I'm hearing in my head. Can we make that happen on the screen? Can we make that happen coming out of the speakers? And then it becomes like this fun challenge. And it took a while to to get there, but that was like, and then just starting to collaborate with as many people as I could uh, were, were really the keys because that is what all led to me starting to get the big checks with the sync licensing. It's what led to me starting to get paying clients that paid well. And it, it's what led to me eventually starting to teach about licensing. Yeah. So when you, once you started doing all of those things, that's when you met Kathy Exactly. Correct. So she yeah. was your was she was your first introduction into the sync world. Is that yep. is that right? Yep. Okay. First first intro. I yeah. I had a, a placement back in 2011, but it was like a I didn't get paid anything. No master sync on that or anything like that. I was in an end credits of a indie movie. Okay. But uh but yeah the, the first really understanding anything about the process at all or you know what they're looking for any of that stuff it was all Kathy Heller. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, so now let's talk about what you are doing. So you've 
recently moved to Nashville, and I know you had started a new company. Yep. Uh, before, just shortly before you moved to Nashville, but so tell us what you're doing now, and name of your company and what you do with all that. Yeah, I mean it's kind of crazy. I think back to everything that's happened these last two months. I actually started the company with Sonnet Simmons, one of my colleagues and and a good friend of mine in the music licensing world. She's had a lot of success in licensing as I have. And uh, we were both teaching for Catch the Moon. And all of a sudden we we realized that they were making the decision that they didn't want to continue the ongoing monthly support for students that had learned how to do licensing in Catch the Moon. So what Sonnet and I decided to do, and it was it was kind of one of those decisions that we we did it. And then like the next day we were like working on putting it all together. Cause we realized it was like a no brainer was just how can we keep the momentum of this going and how can we build it and, and, and then own it and really just do all the things that whatever we want to do with it and, and really like be owners of that company. So we started sync it music. Uh, that's S Y N C itmusic.com. Uh, you can go there to check out information about that. But what we do is we have a community called Licensing Basecamp. And the point of that is like, if you're thinking about placements as like, oh, you're, you're constantly on the climb. You're constantly making music. It's a cycle. You get into a place where you get your music up to commercial standards from a writing perspective, from a production perspective. Then you go out, you pitch the music, and you complete the cycle all over again. So how can we be the Sherpas? How can we be the guides to help you reach the peak and then come back down tell your stories amongst the base camp members and uh, it's an analogy for for music licensing and kind of the cyclical nature of music licensing and the mentality that that i've found success with and sonnets found success with and we found so many people have have found success with this to just do and do and do and get your music out there and we wanted to create a community that embodies all the things that we were teaching at catch the moon in terms of like providing a lot of encouragement, a lot of accountability, and just continued strategies for success with different workshops and things that people, guest experts we can bring in, and licensing opportunities as well. So we've we've created this community, and it's off to a great start. We're having a really fun time doing it, and uh, that's that's what Sync It is. So what if someone wants to, is interested in learning more about it, they go to the website, Yep. right? Syncit.com? Yep. Correct. Um, sync it music sync it music dot com and then if they want to how much does it cost to be to be a member yeah it's it's a twenty nine dollar a month membership and as a part of that membership you get four live calls with us every month so we will do every first week of the month we do what's called music licensing mastermind where we go over latest we we kind of it's a rotating subjects thing the first one that we did was about trends for 2022 this month we did one that was about uh, songwriting and and just some of the perspectives that we bring in how important songwriting is to licensing and some of the things that are like the most important things to do we have a discussion with the people in the in the in the group and it was really nice we do these hot seats as well where we put people in the hot seat for five minutes and really give them an opportunity to to tell them tell us what they're struggling with and then we we try to provide like insights and solutions and give them encouragement and and give them an idea of like something they might be able to try to to kind of get unstuck with things okay and and so that's just one of the calls but we do four live calls a month we bring in a guest expert and they are the licensing partner for the month and our licensing partners sign songs from these listening sessions we do with them. And it's, uh, it's been really great so far. Okay. So that's, it. so that's good to know. So you are, so when you have a, a guest, yep. uh, licensing agent comes on as, as your guest yep. and then they listen to the songs of the people that are in your group. Yep. And while they're listening, if they like the song, they think I can pitch that song. They're going to sign it. They've got the opportunity to sign it. They don't have to. Obviously. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened that's the last the time. That's yeah. the hope is that they'll we sign it. We give them an assignment it. at the beginning of the month that's given to us by the licensing partner. Okay. So, and we when we're talking about licensing partners, we're talking about uh, mainly rep agencies or pitch people. So pitch people that are looking for specific types of songs, rep agencies that are looking for kinds of music to rep either non-exclusively or exclusively. And uh, it's a good opportunity for people to get representation, which is uh, really like, I feel like that's one of the fundamentals of doing well in music licensing is to get representation that believes in you. All right. So here's, here's the question. Ready? Yeah. You're in the hot seat right now. Let's, let's bring it. Exclusive or non-exclusive? 
I feel like that's it, it, no. It's it's a really good question. I I used to have this attitude. Uh, when it was only like when I really first started. I was like, oh, exclusive. That seems like scary. But then the first rep deal that I ever signed was an exclusive deal, and they got me in two months. They got me a Starbucks ad. Yeah. So it's like I feel like it doesn't matter whether it's exclusive or non-exclusive. What really matters is how much they like your music yeah. and how much they're really going to go to bat for you. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's way more important. Right, having someone that's going to be actually willing to pitch your music regardless because they believe in what you're doing. Yep. And then the other thing, one thing to consider with non-exclusive, it's less commitment. It's less commitment on your part, but it's also less commitment on their part. Right. So it's yep. just, it's like, it's less, it's it's a less, I'm not going to say it's a less sturdy deal, but it's like, it's, it feels like to me, it's just a, it, it, it doesn't cement it as much. And you also have to, as a content creator, as a music creator, you have to be careful how many agencies or people that you give the music to non-exclusively because the possibility is out there that if you have you have this great song and it's in like three different agencies non-exclusively, they might be pitching to the same opportunity and the person who's deciding what songs to use, they're they're looking like, well, who represents this song? I like the song, but it's it's confusing to me. Yeah. And if there's anything that I would say that I've learned in this uh, in terms of like, you know, what you don't want to introduce into situations, it's confusion. Right. You don't want to because you want to be really solid with these are the rights holders of the song. Just be really clear and upfront with everything. If it's like, confusing who reps your music then it you know you i'm sure people have lost deals because of that sure and i know that that's been a huge conversation over the years between lots of us uh living in that reality of you know i've got i've got music exclusively licensed to certain reps i've got non-exclusive deals and so i've got the same song in two or three different places yeah um when i first started out i did the big bad no no and had the same song probably in seven or eight different places at, <laughs> at once. That's and maybe a little that's excessive. That's a little excessive. Maybe. That's a little overboard. <laughs> um, but realizing that, I pulled, I ended up pulling it out of most of those, went back down to the two or three. I tried to not go more than three ever anymore. Yeah. Um, usually maybe two. But, like, can you honestly say from experience, if you know, or if you know someone who's done this, like how often, I understand, yeah, that's a big no-no. You want to be careful that you're not having th three or so companies pitching the same song to the same uh, same music supervisor because that supervisor doesn't know which one to choose. And so th therefore, he won't choose it at all yeah, because yeah. he doesn't know who to, spooked. Who to yeah. pick. So, But how often has have you actually experienced that? Or do you know of people that have... Does that, how often you does don't that actually experience happen? it, I think, because if it happens to you, they never tell you. You know what I mean? It's well, like it never really gets back to you if they decide not to use a song because it's repped by a couple of places. I've never had it happen where two people, I, I'm sure this happens. It's never just, it's just never happened to me okay. where like there's two companies and they're kind of duking it out. But I mean, have you heard of other people that have gone through that yeah. though? I mean, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I, I, and I don't remember specific cases, yeah. but I've heard of it happening. Yeah. Yeah. And the, here's the thing to note is that it's less about, yes, yeah, sure. There's like, there's definitely going to be, if you have two companies that are repping different interests in the song, which company is going to take the lead. There's always a little politics behind the scenes with that kind of stuff. But the one thing that like that, uh, the one thing I would say about this is like, once a music supervisor, there are some music supervisors that if they feel like there's anything whatsoever funny about the way that you do business, they, I don't know if they have like a blacklist out there or anything like that, but there's some, I know there's some music supervisors that are very serious about this. And if they ever see it, they'll just like, they're just like, ah, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to remember that name and I'm not going to work with them in yeah. the future because it's, I can't take the risk of you know, having to navigate the situation when I'm busy, like with so many things and I, I don't, I don't have time for, it, it just strikes them as unprofessional. And I think some of them take it more personally while other music supervisors are a little more understanding of that perspective that it's like, you know, what are the chances that if you have two or three people repping your stuff, it's probably not going to happen that often. And that's what I've like come to, uh, that's what I've come to kind of intuit with this is that it's okay to have like a couple people not exclusively repping your stuff yeah. because chances are it's not going to happen. And do you want to miss out on the additional opportunities that having 
two people rep your stuff could be better than just having one person rep it. Yeah. I think the, I think the reason that most people, um, are willing to do non-exclusive to have a couple of people rep because I think these companies for the most part have different focus, mm-hmm. you know, like one company is pitching to s- certain, uh, styles or certain types of TV shows. Sure. And then the other sync agency is pitching to different types of things. So your song can be in two different places because you they you know or they know that it's going to different opportunities that are not going to overlap and cause that situation. Hopefully. Yeah, and that, well there's research that you can do to kind of suss that out a little bit too. Yeah. You know, it's just follow their Instagram channels, see what they're announcing about placements of artists that are on their roster and you can sometimes figure out oh wait they're both placing songs on this mtv show i probably shouldn't have both of them repping the song that would work perfectly in an mtv show right yeah um okay so 2022 yeah now podcast material is evergreen material this stuff will be listened to hopefully for years and years (laughs) to come sure um so uh which is fantastic but knowing that we're recording this in 2022 when this comes out um, with, with your, with you and Sonnet and your company and teaching artists about, about licensing and things like that. um, You were saying about some of the trends of 2022. Can you, are you, allowed to tell us a little bit of what's of course of what course. some what some trends you're seeing are in sync licensing for this year so people know listening that are that are into this kind of thing yeah they can have some ideas of what to be doing of course yeah well you know some of the stuff that we're seeing in terms of like it, it's really been some, a continuation of the last six months there's been a lot of like weird quirky uh high energy hip-hop influenced basically like pop indie pop indie rock stuff with like positive messaging, uh, great hooks. It's, and just a little bit of soul and weirdness to it. I feel like that's really like what is working right now in the ad space is just a lot of just how is your song different? And, and, and is it different in like a soulful kind of fun way? Uh, we feel like that's one of the keys in terms of like what's happening in, in 22 and, and more and more and more. I feel like this is just, it, it keeps, at first it felt like it was kind of like more a peripheral thing, but now it's just, it's more and more the case that I feel like most agencies and most uh, supervisors really want to support actual artists. So the more that you can make this cool music that works for licensing, but also this is the trick, have it something that is also totally in alignment with you as an artist brand. I feel like that's your going to really put your best foot forward because even if they can see that the needle is moving a little bit with your artist brand, there are so many supervisors that want to support independent artists and really help them to, to get a bigger exposure versus like if your song is just something that's uh, it's, it's like a no name brand. It's like a moniker that you make up uh, because you put like an EP together and there's no actual artist support from it. There's no photography. There's no branding. There's no videos. There's no effort put into making it an actual artist project. I just feel more and more and more. That's where things are trending. Real artists, real music, but also you say real music, but it's music that has to work in, you know, for example, if you're targeting ads, it's music that has to work in the ad space. If it's music that is more targeting reality TV, then it's going to need things like we, we brought on this last month for a workshop. We brought in this amazing video editor. He also owns a licensing company called Atrium Music. Josh Young showed how like important it is, for example, for the endings of your songs to have this nice tail to them because it is what works really great in reality TV. Hmm. You want to make sure that, you know, that whole idea of like just having a super abrupt ending where everything kind of goes. Yeah. Sting ending, you know, or cold decay. Yeah. Not as good, not as helpful. What, what he's looking for a lot of the times and he will request is an alt ending. That's like it more rings out and has like a tone to it. Not it a, helps carry not, things through. Not a fade. Not like the song is fading nope. out. Nope. You hear the lyrics and getting quieter and quieter, but you hit the the last chord and let let that chord just ring. Exactly. Keep going. Versus just like ending on a percussive hit. Yeah. 
really abruptly, it, short, which yes, has been like something that's it's cool and fun to do. And if that your artist project, you want to do that with your artist project, that's cool. But it would be really smart if you are trying to get your music onto one of these reality TV shows and the agency that you're working with is doing that. It would probably be a smart idea for you to custom tailor the music a little bit so that it is really going to give you the maximum chance. And you're not going to have them hit you back and say, hey, can you do an alt ending? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like, I feel like those are the main things that I'm getting for, for 22. It's always changing. We're, we're constantly getting new briefs and, and we're constantly hearing new music and seeing new placements all the time. So I think that's the other way is to just, I feel like for 22 is if you aren't already following where things are happening, where the action is, you're really not going to be on the pulse of what's happening. So I feel like that's where like being connected in some way, whether it's through sync it licensing base camp or anywhere else you can get it. Clubhouse has a couple of great rooms. For example, control camp is a great place that you can go to get information on music licensing and what's happening. And they do listening sessions as well. So uh, it's like wherever you get it, you get it out on YouTube somewhere, find it somewhere get on those trends and, and just like, that's where if there's something out there that you like and you think is cool, then chances are there's a possibility that you might be able to do something similar. Actually, that was like my initial thought when I was listening to these ad songs, these ad friendly songs, I'm like, I could do that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, where, where is it? Where's the place in the licensing space where it just feels right to you to say like, I'd like to try doing that. So yeah. I think that's the the things that I would say to anybody who's out there thinking about either jumping into licensing in 22 or they just want to continue to hone their, you know, what's happening right now with the trends. Yeah, that's great, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate you sharing all the information. Um, as we wrap up, what normally at this point, I'm usually asking, hey, what are some what's some advice that you would give? Yeah, for yeah. good stuff. Well, that was a really great amount right there. So the other the flip side is that what are some things that you recommend people not do like what are some things to avoid oh man man this is is a pretty long list i think (laughs) let's see let's see no but i think the things is it in terms of licensing or just in the music industry in general either and or both you know i think we'll talk about because i think this is something that applies to the music industry but it, it it really does apply to licensing as well um is just being very you just got to be polite to the people that you want to work with okay you got to be polite and you got it's it's one thing to not have the courage to reach out to people you have to squeaky wheel gets the grease you know you have to be willing to ask for what you want in the world but there's a way of going about it and i see all too often the way that people go about this is kind of putting the cart before the horse it's they have a song, they think it's good for licensing, and they immediately try to find some way to get a, a hold of the music supervisor for a show and just directly send them the music without any introduction. I've even heard of horror stories where people acqu- somehow acquire like the phone number of a music supervisor and call them up. Mm-hmm. There's a horror story from one one person that was sharing about how they were just at a backyard barbecue on a Sunday and they get this you know, this call. And then they work with people all the time where it's like, they need short turnarounds on stuff. And he's like, he doesn't know, picks it up. And he's like, realizes that he's getting pitched music from an independent artist that somehow found his number. And it's just like, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's a one thing to understand, especially about the licensing community. And you know, this it's like, it's a relatively small community in the larger tent of the music industry. Right. Yeah. You have probably somewhere between three and 450 main music supervisors, and they are a very close knit community. If you get in bad with one of them, it's only a matter of time before word gets around. So I would say it's like it's important to get if you really want to get your music into the hands of somebody important to go through the proper channels and you know, if you do want to try to pitch somebody directly with something, that's totally cool. It's never been my style of doing things. I always rather work with somebody who already has the relationship with these people. And it's not like I'm trying to forge something completely new. It's a way easier for me to have rep agencies that are good that pitch my music. And so that's how I choose to do that. But you even need to be careful with this as well, because you just have to remember the person who's receiving your email is a human being. They are not somebody, nobody likes to be spammed. Nobody likes to be solicited to. And I would say over everything, nobody likes to be told how to do their job, which I think the tone of a lot of people when they reach out to people in the music industry is that 
I have this music that's perfect for what you're looking for. Right. And there's an arrogance with that. Yeah. That I think is not lost on a lot of the recipients. Yeah. Anytime you say my music is perfect for yeah. something, that's usually a red flag for most supervisors. It's like, how do you wait? Do you know even what I'm working on? And and are you saying you're you can do your job better than me? Mm-hmm. It's it's not a good look. Yeah. It's not a good look. So the ways to like, but there are ways to engage people. Most music supervisors who have an Instagram account do not care if you follow them. They don't care if you comment. And in fact, like you know, they they're humans too. They like to make new friends. They like to go to conferences and shake hands and mm-hmm. you know all this stuff. They like to do the Zoom. Zoom things and check out the chat and and yeah sometimes they'll even like just throw out hey here's my email address send me some music I want to hear some stuff maybe they feel like they want to listen to some new stuff yeah. from indie artists and that happens all the time there's so many opportunities like that but I just think that if you're going to if you do want to advance in the music industry you just have to remember not to put the cart before the horse that's a that's a huge thing it's it's going to potentially especially in like a small community like the music licensing community you could say some things that you end up regretting later on um especially if you do the dreaded like question mark question mark question mark reply after they didn't respond to <laughs> right. your message for like a couple of days yeah you know it's just this it's like how entitled are you yeah <laughs> well yes i understand that we as artists that are wanting to get our music out there, we lots a lot of times we feel like maybe they didn't get maybe they didn't get the message. Yeah, it maybe went to their junk folder, or yep. spam folder, and because that does happen, it does Those happen. things happen. Yeah, and so it's like okay, well, and because I, I run into that, I that's something that I have to fight. Not necessarily with, with music supervisors. I've learned, you know, you just gotta you gotta put it out there very kindly, quickly, politely. Um, and then and then move on. Yep. And then hopefully they'll get back to you. If they don't, then you just keep going. Yeah. Never, uh, I mean, I never learned to never take this stuff personally. Yeah. But but there are there are other things like when I'm when I'm booking something or I'm trying to contact someone for a thing, um, and then I realize they haven't responded in like three weeks to a month. Chances are that email probably went to a junk folder or a yep. spam folder. So then it's like, well, you know, figuring out how do you re how do you email them again and you know in in a polite way and say hey i i emailed you a few weeks ago it probably went to the junk folder because it's got a link in it a lot of times when there's a link in an email it that'll send it to a junk or spam folder yeah, yeah. so it's finding a way to kind of reintroduce yourself um without being coming across arrogant or or overbearing you yeah, know, just say, just say, hey, because a lot of times they'll be like, oh, yeah, I, I never, oh, wait, th- oh, there it is. It's in, it's in my junk folder. Sure is. Totally. I mean, there's some people like I run a zero <laughs> inbox and there are so many people that are not that way yeah. at all. I mean, they literally like are, keep it clean. It gets lost like yeah. constantly. And I just think the key is if you're going to reach back out to somebody is just don't have any assumptions when right. you reach out. I think as long as you have that rule, you're going to be fine because you can just say like, hey, uh, you can almost pretend like the first email doesn't even exist sometimes too. And it's yeah. fine, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think it's like if there's people that you have, once you establish a connection with somebody, if they don't respond to you in the future, it could just be because like the latest song you sent to them didn't do it for them or um, they just were having a bad week. And, yeah. You know, well, one of the things I love about working with um, licensing agents as a rep, as yep. opposed to going now, I've I've done both. I've been able to go directly to music supervisors in some cases, because I've built friendships with certain people. And so I've got that freedom to do that now, which, you know, you, but that's, again, you're building a relationship. It takes time yeah, um, to get their permission to do that kind of stuff. But I've been able to do that. But then most of the time I go through a licensing agent. And once you connect with that licensing agent, in my experience, um, you know, you start building a friendship with them and you send them music and they, man, I love this. This is great. Keep sending me stuff. And then you can reach out to them on a pretty regular basis. And you, you know, and without the, the worry or concern of, I don't know if they're going to like this or I don't know if I'm bothering them because you know, you've now you write for them, you're writing for this company and they're expecting stuff from you. So there's a little different perspective there, I think, going to through a licensing agent, as opposed to trying to go directly to a music supervisor. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, this has been a great. I appreciate all this information. This is really good, good stuff for people to to hear that are trying to get into um, musical licensing, sync licensing, music. So if you guys are listening um, 
then you know definitely take all this information to heart because this guy's doing it. He he lives it and he teaches it and uh, he knows he's got the inner inner circle on some of these companies that you're working with. So definitely take this stuff to heart with what you're trying to do. And thank you, John, for being on the show. And I'm so grateful that we finally get to connect in person yes. and be together and look forward to writing together and seeing Likewise. what we can come up with. And hopefully we can land some stuff together. Yes, let's, awesome. do let's do it. Let's <laughs> do it. I so appreciate your hospitality here. Yeah. And uh, it's so great to be on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate man. it, man. Well, I appreciate it. You have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too. See ya. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with John Kleinbell today. I really, really hope you enjoyed it. So as we talked about in the episode, John and I technically officially met a few years ago through this company called Catch the Moon Music. And we both sort of went through um, through that program to learn how to write music for sync. And so that was really, really very beneficial, very helpful for me and for a lot of the people that have come up with me through that company learning how to do all this stuff. If you're wanting to work in sync licensing and having your music on TV or film projects and things like that, Catch the Moon is not doing that particular type of thing any longer, but John's company, Sync It Music, is doing that. So I really want to encourage you, if that's something that you're interested in learning more about, please go check out his website at syncitmusic, S-Y-N-C-I-T, music.com. And I would love for you guys to check that out. Hopefully he can help you out and get you going in the sync world. Please let me know how that's going for you guys. I really want to hear about that. Please subscribe to the podcast. If you have not, whatever platform you're listening to it on, please subscribe. Let your friends know about it. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. If you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime, be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.